Good morning and welcome to Flathead Recovery. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And here we are on Teams again because I've gone and got COVID. It's the first time I've had it and I hope it's the last because it's really, really annoying. Yeah, but to be fair, it's worked out in my favour because when you asked, uh, how's my week been? And I was talking to you about your COVID earlier about what the whether it affects your motivation and this week although i've done stuff i have had absolutely no motivation whatsoever even to the point where i don't even want to get out of my bed and you know when you you prolong something so i get up and i make myself a coffee i do a couple of readings which i've started doing it's funny isn't it when when things aren't going great you start doing what the they suggest you do in the first place. <laughs> so I've done yeah. a couple of readings that like they're just for today and daily reflection and stuff like that. And, but I seem to be dragging it and dragging it and dragging it and dragging it out right to the last. And I think, right, I've got to fucking move. And it's really hard because I haven't really had that in my recovery. I've had it more so in the last six months, but I haven't really had that prior to that. It's not uncommon, you know. Because you've got through the initial kind of hard part and you've sustained it. You know, a lot of people relapse before two years. Mm. An awful lot of them don't get through and they don't go any further than that. And generally, once people have got to sort of two stroke, three years, some of them can think, is this it? And it becomes a hiatus and you think, well, I've done it all. And what's it for? It's not uncommon. Yeah, I'm going to get... I know in the back of my, I know, well, it's not in the back, it's in the forefront of my mind. At the end of the day, the bottom line is I simply, I hope this helps the listeners as well, maybe some people are going through the same thing, but it's like, I know I can't drink. And I know it doesn't matter how shit it gets, drinking yeah. isn't going to help. So that's out of the question. It's not going to make anything really better. I've had 20 odd years of proof that drink doesn't do anything other than cause mayhem in my life so drink is not an option and on top of that i don't think i've got the i, I don't i can't say that i wouldn't but you know it's in the book it says incomprehensible demoralization mm-hmm. and that is obviously how I, I like that couple of words in the book because it would it describes what i'm sure it describes what it's like to have to start again in your recovery you're not really starting again aren't you because you, you you you've still got all that recovery and it's just a section of your recovery or part of your recovery that way you've made an error so you can't say that's i've got to start from scratch but almost you know building all that back up again because sometimes i say if you relapse you need to forget what you thought you knew and start fresh so it's all a bit confusing but i don't think yeah incomprehensible demoralization but i know that there's no point whatsoever i'm more than happy regardless of how tough the days may seem i'm a lot happier i'd rather be in this situation i'm in now than in that state i was in before and it's a growing thing isn't it you know if you've reached two years plus then you know that having a drink is only going to make things worse Mm. there's no problem that gets solved by drinking there never has been and also, it would be quite understandable if you'd reached a kind of treading water stage of also thinking, oh, what am I doing next? Or is this where I've got to? What actually is on the way? 
And that's understandable at the period you're at, because in doing two years, you've done all the hard bit at the beginning. You've done the dedication bit for the next year, which is actually consolidating the idea that, yeah, I want to stay in this. And then it's hitting that point of maintenance, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's very easy for people to slide away thinking, oh, I've done it now. Either people get complacent or they start thinking, is that all it is? Yeah. And sometimes it's difficult to put one foot in front of the other over that. Yeah, it's like, it is strange because it's like sometimes you think to yourself and you hear, they talk about doing gratitude lists and stuff like that. And, you know, I've got a lot to be grateful for from what the programme and I'm doing whatever that is. What's that called? Doing yes. inverse commas. With yes, me. I can see it, Ronnie. For the benefit of the audience, the listeners. So it's the programme and getting into recovery has made, it is increased my, what do you call it? Increased my life to a point where, you know, it's a lot more valuable. It's a lot more exciting and sort of, yeah, I think it's just one of those things. I get up in the morning think, fuck, fuck the world, I want to go back to sleep. Same shit, different day. I've noticed, obviously, a lot of people in recovery, league, they live in dry houses, which I think are amazing. And I've done that. I've done that for two years. I'm still living in a dry flat. I'll be, there's no one else living here. And I think that has a lot to do with it, you know. I don't know whether it's a learning thing to, I don't think I'm practising to learn to live on my own. Maybe that could be, because... When you live in a dry house with three, four other people, however many people live there, it's quite easy to wake up in the morning in whatever mood you're in and just focus on somebody else in that house. Like, right, oh, yeah, let's talk about you. <laughs> Pick holes in everything you've done. I don't yeah. want anyone to talk about me, so I'm going to talk about you and about you again. I'm so perfect, but you don't even realise it. I did, maybe I didn't even realise that, that I was, I suppose, the noise, the chatter of the head, the chatter of the voice, or the chatters of the, the counsel in your head, they don't really, they're not that loud when you've lived with three other people who've all got some kind of mental health problem and, and or problems of their own. And, you know, it's easy to focus on other And sometimes you've got no choice because you've got other people, fo- like, you know, rattling onto you, ah, this, that, and the other. So but then you get other people focusing on you, yeah. Yeah, and you can argue, can't you? It's nice. I think the dry house atmosphere is a brilliant idea and it works very, very well up to a point. Yeah. I think there's a point where you have to learn to live. Definitely. Definitely. Of course. And whether you do that in sharing a house or whether you do it in your own flat, you've got to be completely independent around this stuff. Because the thing that can be generated with dry houses in the first place is they all go to the same meetings together and they all do everything together. And yeah. it's the two that are really bothered about what they're doing that are basically dragging everyone else to a meeting. Yeah, 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 and yeah. And what happens then is after 12, 18 months, the two that really want to do it carry on doing it and the others drift off. That's the danger sometimes. Yes, I've noticed and noticed very much an observer what goes on around in, in the different organised, different stages within this organisation. And I notice behaviours and because I, I like to listen to people's 
I don't, it sounds nice, doesn't it? But I like to learn from other people's mistakes if I can. Mm-hmm. And I do see sometimes, I see houses where they're like, oh my God, you like, <laughs> how are you going to survive when you get your own place? Because you like a little, and it's nice in a sense, but they do everything together. I know I have a house that do that. They do yeah. And, you know, it's, I suppose, it just makes you think that you've got to, me living here by myself is good because I'm actually going to meetings by myself, which is nice. And I used to do that because I was moved on quite quickly from one house to another in the organisation. And I didn't actually know the person I was living with too well. So I did my own thing and it was great. Best thing that ever happened to me because I actually switched off completely from most people within the treatment centre. Not switched off like, you know, not speaking to them, but I had to pay, I had to do my own thing. And it was really good, to be fair. I really enjoyed it. Really nice. Finding yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the crux thing, is it? Because I don't think it's a negative for people to be doing everything together for the first six months. No. I really don't. Oh, it's good. But I think after that, they've got to achieve some degree of independence. Definitely, definitely, because unfortunately, I think people who can't find that independence or not ushered along a little bit sometimes are probably going to start to be become institutionalised, so they can't live on their own. I've heard that from a few people as well. Yeah, it's quite scary. I've actually heard people say, if I didn't live in this house of multiple occupancy, then I would be, it would be suicide for me. Because I'd used, it's like, yeah. what, what an awful position to be in. But fortunately, you've got organisations out there, like Changes, and, you know, you've got a few of us, Livingston House and stuff, who provide this accommodation. And they don't tend to want to try and rush you on too quickly. So, you know, there is that help out there. And you don't, people shouldn't feel forced to move on. But just bear in mind that at some point... It is the done thing if you want to progress further because you will just be stunted. So get yourself a sponsor and get to meetings. <laughs> well, it's pretty simple in the end, isn't it? Because the traps that the people fall into, there's so many of them. Yeah. You, know, you go to rehab, suddenly you're not dependent on chemicals anymore. It feels weird to start with, and then suddenly you start feeling great. Mm. And they tell you to do all this other stuff. And as part of me thinking, why have I got to bother with that? I've done it now. Why have I got to bother going to meetings? And then you've got others who go to two meetings a day for six, nine months and go mad with it. And it's more that you get it into your head. This is what I've got to do. And this is what I've got to consistently do for a long period of time Mm. without saying it's forever. But a lot of people fall into the trap, the complacency trap of thinking, oh, I'm okay now. I don't need to do it that much. I'll be all right now. Easy trap to fall in, isn't it? If you do exactly what you're told to do straight away, chances are you're going to be all right anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Provided you carry on. If you get a sponsor straight away, if you start going to meetings regularly straight away, if you start engaging with volunteering or whatever as soon as you can, Mm. chances are you are going to be all right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? It's like when I came into recovery... Somebody was telling me, oh, you have to trust. You know, I was never one for trusting. And the doctor would tell me to take two and I'd take four. Do you know what I mean? 
take two a day. So you take, and you know, I was always thinking, wow, that must be for people that are probably not really that tolerant or this, that, and the other. I was always trying to bend the rules here, there, and everywhere. Even I'm a bit different, me. Yeah. yeah, it's always, I know they've got to have a safe point, and I know their safe point has got to be triple or quadruple what really you can take, and they're just doing it to save their, so they don't get sued. That's the kind of thinking was crazy, and like, I think to come in with complete surrender as, you know what, my way is not my way. And I'm going to do your way, what you're telling me to do. Because at the end of the day, it's an organisation that gets people clean. And if they're telling you this is how to do it, really, you've got to just, if you had to bet on it, oh, do you think that they've got it wrong or got it? The chances are they've got it right. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you go to a doctor and you say you shouldn't do something, you really, you've got to listen whether you believe him or not. Mm-hmm. I'm still saying that all the time. But that's me and my thinking, which needs to change. But the thing is, we don't listen, do we? Because no. we've not done it for so long. And even in recovery, we don't necessarily listen. It takes quite a while for us to actually say, OK, yeah, maybe I'm not right about this. Yeah. I think for me, being scraped off a hospital bed and my family being called, I think that was enough for me to start thinking that. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I've got this wrong here. I'm almost dead. The priest is here. The family are here. Maybe, just possibly, I might try doing something different this time. Maybe. I've got to try. <laughs> yeah. But it's also good, I suppose, to keep connecting as well, isn't it? Like with your sponsor. I've got to be honest, I don't talk to my sponsor. I'll tell you what I did do this week, which was interesting. I had dinner with a millionaire. A millionaire? Where did you meet a millionaire? It's a friend's member of the family. They're, and it was like, I, I, the reason why I say that was because I had all these sorts of, how do I sit with somebody who's multi, because they're very, very, they're not just one million, or they're, they're multi-million. And how is this going to work? And my friend invited me and I says, like, because, yeah, you'll be fine, just be yourself. I'm like, okay. And I went and I had a fantastic time and I was talking to the guy and I really, really got on well with him. And I look back before, one thing I've learned in recovery is to that we're all equal. And I love that part of it, you know, I'm not better than anyone else and I'm not worse than anyone else. We're all equal. And that sprung to my mind when I was on my way there. And I was thinking, you know, I was a little bit worried about sitting next to someone who's, you know, extremely successful. And, you know, little old me's, yeah, getting government pocket money. And and then that thought came into my head, something I'd, I'd heard in the treatment centre, and they said, we're all equal. You're not less, any less than, you're not any more than. And that worked really, really well. I, mean, I remember I sat there and I just had a good old chin wag. And I actually really, really got on with the guy. And it's, it's nice to think that, you know, these little things they teach you in recovery, if you put them into practice, because I think that saved my evening, because back in the day, I would have been a shivering wreck. Well, I would have been pissed. I probably would have been kicked out of the restaurant because I would have had to have a drink to be able to steady my nerves. Because I feel like I'm speaking to someone who's, you know, better than me. Someone having millions doesn't make them better. Well, I got on with that. We got the house on fire. It was a really good conversation. A really decent guy, really decent, down to earth, like you wouldn't believe. And it was like, what did he do? What was his? 
he's out. means of making millions. Wow, these computer things, here he does. He's in the gaming industry. I think, I don't, I don't know, systems and computers and that kind of stuff and whatever, but it's very high up. The day before, he was with Josh, what's them boxers? Justin, Joshua, something, I don't know, some boxing match that was on. I was frolicking with them and stuff, so they're quite high up. But just a really nice guy, and I think it's testament to what the program has done in the sense of, you know, your self-worth and your self-belief and stuff like that. It's really helped. So my little claim to fame, he's got millions. I'll have that, please, off the menu. Choose what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the menu, yes. Take what you want. Take what I'll you want. I'll have everything. Give me a doggy not- bag. We went to a restaurant. It was in London. It was so nice because the, the table was the menu and it was a computer screen. So you just touched the table and they brought it over. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen that before. You just go tap, don't you? You tap and then the man runs over and gives you what you want and then you tap again. I'm, I'm intrigued at this man of great money choosing you to go somewhere with. Well, I'm very, very good friends with his sister-in-law so my friend's sister's husband that's what it is so my my very good friend's sister uh, husband invited us both out because they know that i'm good friends with their sister and sister-in-law so that's why i was invited out bring your friend ronnie because we've heard so much about him they said my friend says would you like to come along and this was on a sunday this was sunday morning and i was the first thing that entered my head was fuck that excuse my language i can't be asked to do all that today and then i thought no let's look at it from a different view somebody's inviting you out and you're able to because you're not pissed you're not hung over you haven't taken more drugs than bloody pablo escobar whatever his name is and i was able to get it go that day it's very nice it's interesting though isn't it in the same way as alcohol and drugs are equal opportunity destroyers mm-hmm. in recovery not only can a judge sit next to a bank robber in a meeting you might be in a meeting with someone who's literally only just got a roof over their head after 10 years and someone who owns 100 houses and they might be sitting next to each other yeah so there's an equality in recovery in the same way as there's an equality in addiction, isn't there? Mm. Definitely, yeah. It's, they say it's that thing, doesn't it? It doesn't discriminate. And I think you only have to look at some of the rehab centres, you know, like the Priory, and so if, you, if that's what that is. You know, you get all it's sorts of... It's a rest of, cure, isn't it, the Priory? It's a break, isn't it? It's like, oh, oh I've got a... Well, ter- they come once a year, don't they? Yeah, I've got a terrible hangover. This one's worse than anyone that I've had this year. So let's go here and have a spa. It's a spa break, isn't it? But actually, you know what? I don't know what their success rate is, but... Well, they want people to come back the year after. Of course they do. And that that 30 grand for four weeks, and they want them to spend that every year, don't they? Of course they do. Repeat business. That's what they're in it for. Treat them well and they'll come back. Absolutely. (laughs) Very Uh, important, that is. I know a girl who went there, and this is another girl by there. This isn't my friend whose uncles or whatever, sister's brother-in-law. This this other girl, she went there, and 
She was going out to lunch and having champagne and coming back. I can well believe it. They have a thing, don't they? Because I knew somebody who went in there that you can go out for yeah. two hours every day. And they even call it a pass out. Uh, of all yeah. the things to call it when you've got a bunch of drunks and it's in the building. Yeah, you can leave for as long as you want and come back. Here's a pass out. You've got two hours to get blind drunk and then pass out when you get back. Well, we'll let you have that because at least you're not drinking for just the whole 24 hours. We'll let you back in because you're paying a thousand pounds a day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's people that have got sober in them rooms. A lot of celebs go there, don't they? Well, there's one particularly, isn't there? Don't they all go to Roehampton? Right, I don't know. That priory is the one where they take all the celebs, isn't it? Right. I think it's Roehampton. Because there's the one in Birmingham, in Harborne, there's one in Nottingham, and there's various ones down south, and there's there's various priories all over the place, because it's all big group, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I think the celebs are all generally, I'm, I'm sure it's Roehampton, I could be wrong, but they're all generally in the same one, I think. Right. Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. It would make sense for celebrities to be in a room together, wouldn't it? Yeah, of course, because I suppose they've got more in common, haven't they? And also, they'd be worrying less about disclosure and stuff like that. Yeah. Because it mean, would be a massive worry for someone who's in the public eye to go into rehab and think, well, I can't be honest here. Because if I am, and someone else in the group gets wind of it, what happens if they decide to write a book about me? Well, I think the celebs should be more honest about it. And I don't know a lot of them are, aren't they? I mean... Anthony Hopkins, he's not shy of speaking of his past. And Ben Affleck. Yeah, but Anthony Hopkins has been sober since Stonehenge. (laughs) The only person who's actually got even longer is Danny Trejo, the world's most dangerous pensioner, who sobered up in San Quentin in 1960-something. Oh, okay. I mean, there are people that have got 50, 60 years, but I mean, Hopkins is about 47, 48 years, which is a hell of a long time, if you think about it. Do you think maybe he's not an addict? (laughs) That's wrong. Hopkins was an appalling drunk, and he tells some interesting tales of his appalling drunkenness. He was nothing like the actor that he became in terms of profile and all of that. Really? He was a jobbing British actor until middle of the 70s and then he sobered up and then gradually over time he suddenly went stellar didn't he yeah he's hard. i think he's amazing because he didn't become household name and ubiquitous until the 90s and by then he'd have been over 50 when that happened so it's a hell of a journey really mm. if you think about it. and yeah ben affleck's another there are loads in terms of celebs like that they must have their own meetings I did read somewhere about Downey Jr. having meetings on set. I think it was Downey Jr. Okay. On a big film, he would ask anyone who wanted a meeting because he'd rather do that than go to a local meeting because then everyone would know that they were filming Iron Man or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be bloody difficult when you're filming something like that. If you don't do a meeting in-house, what are you going to do? Get in a helicopter and make sure you're 200 miles away. Well, this is it, isn't it? This is it. I know there's a few people which which come to our rooms here. And they're not massively famous, but they are famous. Oh, yeah, there are. And there always have been. And a lot of them, they just turn up at a meeting just like everybody else. 
and therefore you don't say anything, do you? You just go with it, I suppose. The ones that I've seen, I had no clue anyway, and it wasn't until other people told me. You know, that guy, <laughs> you know that guy you was asking for a cigarette off out there. <laughs> yeah, you know who he is. Oh, I'm not, no, I have no idea. Oh, I've seen. Then someone tells you, and you think, oh, yeah. But actually, I mean, think about that. It must be quite difficult because what if you know that you've had. I don't know, 20 years of the red tops chasing you and printing scandals about you. Mm -hmm. Then you want to get clean and sober. This is why so many of them go abroad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you want to go somewhere where you can't possibly be reached by the press. Mm -hmm. Where you can't really be contacted by anyone so that no one can take your words and twist them. Mm -hmm. And then when you come back, you can either be like, who was it? It was Antle Deck, wasn't it? Which one of them was it? One of them went to rehab and came back out, didn't they? Oh, that would have been Ant. He smashed the car up the tree. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Yeah, and obviously it would have been very difficult for someone as ubiquitous as that, who's on TV on Saturday night every week, you know, where the hell do you go? And you'd be constantly concerned about what you said. If you were in a kind of therapeutic group in rehab, I can't mention that because it's not public knowledge. They've probably got their own, yeah, they've got their own little settle i'm sure they just have sponsors just like everybody else and they just do meetings just like everybody else most of them it's just you must have to be thinking twice about do i mention what i did with so and so if so and so is a celebrity as well yeah definitely must be hard well it has been known ronnie for journalists to go to meetings pretending to be newcomers yeah that's awful and obviously if you think about it if someone were to do that go and pretend to be a newcomer, they could very easily conceal a recording device in their pocket because nobody would be thinking, oh, someone's recording this. You wouldn't think it of anyone, would you? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And it could quite easily happen. You know, mobile phones and stuff, they've all got recording things on them, and they? Oh, it's terrible, isn't it, what people can do? Awful, in fact. However, ultimately, if you do the right thing, you do the right thing and you get the right result. Yeah. There's no reason to drink unless I suddenly decide I'm going to give myself a reason. And I'm so far past that now. I'm so it's not just neutral the way I look at it. It's just indifferent. It just doesn't mean anything. I think I always thought if I was to drink again, it would be an actual choice yeah and it would be i know why i'm doing this and i think the it would be just to give up wouldn't it for me really that's that was my thing if if i'd had enough of life for me that's my get out if i did it it would be good night vienna and it would be very quickly there's absolutely no reason that i could have for doing it however you know as i've noticed particularly in recent events while alcohol I now view with indifference and neutrality. It's not that way for my family because the spectre for them is very different to the spectre for me. Mm. But I have to be mindful of that. And also, I'm not complacent about it. I just don't want it. Yeah, yeah. I see no need for it. And I do plenty of things where I've got alcohol around me, but that doesn't mean anything either. It's just a horrible, nasty place to be in. So even if you're at your worst, sober, 
that would be it would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Because you're at your worst anyway, and then the alcohol is just going to make it worse. Worse. Yeah. So, and then you've got not just the all that to deal with, which is the biggest. Suddenly, whatever your problem is, then you're giving yourself an even bigger problem. But we have to reach the point, Ronnie. I've got to reach the point where I genuinely believe that alcohol can't solve any problems. Oh, Something yeah. that I've tried to problem solve with in the past, again and again and again, I've got the same result. But I've got to make this crossover. Not only have I no control over it and no control full stop, but also I have to genuinely believe that it doesn't do me any good and that it would never improve any situation in which I found myself. Yeah, and it's one thing to say, it's another thing to genuinely believe it. Yeah, I'm fortunate enough to know the facts. I don't know, the facts speak, speak volumes, don't they? And yeah. I've never, ever, ever... Well, drink's not there to solve a problem, is it? It's there to be joyous and happy for the average drinker to have, you know, have a bit of high spirits and and stuff that's what it's there for not to solve problems so if you're using it to solve a problem you're doomed from the beginning and also if you're trying to control it yeah it's just pointless absolutely pointless the only time that notion frightens me a little bit is because you know you haven't got because let's face it if you've got such a massive problem the first drink or two will take away the problem for that 10, 15, 20 minutes, or even an hour. Yeah, or even until the next morning for people who go bang at it. Yeah, and then you're still left with the problem. So it takes the feelings of the problem away, you know, blocks the feelings for a bit, and then ultimately you've still got to sober up, and ultimately you've still got, well, you know, some people won't sober up, some people end up dead, some people back out for months, lose everything that they've built up, and doomed but based on the supposition that we have to follow this list of things to do it's therefore inevitable that not everyone is going to recover mm-hmm. because some people are going to follow this guide and other people aren't yeah and that's just human nature as well mm-hmm. and some people are going to genuinely believe no i can make a shot of this and, and i don't need booze in my life i don't need drugs in my life other people who've perhaps come into rehab for or even the rooms in for different reasons it's like, I've done the job now. I don't need to worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's not complacency, really. It's attitudinal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What did I come into this for? And I do think, again, it's about transparency and being genuine. Yeah. If I really believe that I want to do this and that I really can do this and that I don't need substance like that, then I can do it and it will happen. It's when I'm going at it piecemeal, half measures. That's where I get nowhere, isn't it? Oh, definitely. You know, half measures about nothing. It's like with the drink, you know, you don't have a half a half a measure of drink. So why would you put half a measure into your recovery and stuff? It's absolutely. And I think recovery is and staying sober. That's what you're doing on a daily basis, aren't you? If you're in recovery, if you spent twenty years drinking, taking drugs, out, whatever, whatever. Each day you wake up, you've got one primary purpose, and that is to stay clean that day, stay sober that day. And if you can remember that, I think for me, that can drift away from me and I can forget. 
that you know I'm trying to stay clean I'm trying to stay sober so if I wake up in a way in which I'm like so what's this all about and do I feel bored and well actually no because you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and you're trying to stay clean you're trying to stay sober you know I'm not shying away from anything that could possibly improve my life I'm not saying oh no no I don't want to do that that will improve my life but no I've got to stay sober because actually there's no reason why that improvement will affect my sobriety yeah Uh, but sometimes I've got to look at whether I'm yeah I don't know probably trying not to do too much because the same trying not to do too much but I do a lot the thing is every so often we are going to do too much and every so often we are going to do too little it's more a question of how I view that and whether I accept that or not Mm. because if I accept that that's what's happened and I slow down or I go and take something on then that means I'm going to be okay if I don't accept it and just go ahead like a blind bull in a china shop then I'm inevitably going to become unstuck because we are going to make mistakes and of course we're going to make mistakes and mistakes are learning experiences and if we take them as learning experiences we'll be okay because mm-hmm. nobody is going to go through the steps the ball court however they do it nobody's going to go through that and have a picture postcard recovery there's no such thing and anyone that claims that they are is probably going to get drunk <laughs> yeah definitely definitely a lot of people suffer in silence so don't they and it's like they say it's okay and it's not okay it's very like it's like a spider web isn't it ways it can go the way a 4d spider web anyway i'm still looking for the answer to the universe you're not going to find it it might be in front of your eyes and you just don't realize it i don't think there is one no i think it's i think it goes on forever and ever and ever it's so weird because i had this image in my head yesterday that how the first light in the universe so the first let's say the first planet for example that apparently is no longer here well it's always here because the light travels the light from that universe will travel forever and ever and ever so at some point at some place in the universe you will see that light still so that light will still be there even though it was the first thing that disappeared or blew up or whatever they do but it was still be there. So the universe to me is actually a time machine. And I think we did this in drama, didn't we? Mm-hmm. It's a time machine. So if you go, the further away you go, and they actually say it's a time machine, the further away you go from the object, the longer it stays there for. Yeah. So I think we're in a time machine. I can live with that. And actually nothing ever begins and nothing ever ends it's just how far the universe stretches i believe that the universe goes on forever so everything lasts forever. with not being a scientist it makes total sense to me that the universe will go on forever because it's been here for billions of years we're just a slight speck on the history of the world let alone the universe outside it why are we so interested in trying to make the universe finite Oh no, that's obviously infinite. I've watched the programs and they say, and one day it's all going to be over. And they say, like, they actually know it. They believe they know it. So it's the funny thing. Which they don't. Yet they talk of black holes. Oh my God. I just find it fascinating, that's all. 
really fascinating. And I'm sure we will one day, maybe it will never be revealed to us what's going on. Maybe we'll just be like lepers jumping from one dimension to another. Our next life could be, you know, we could be aliens on another planet somewhere. Not even realised another planet here fishing around like Egypt's thinking they're the centre of the universe. Oh, look at them like, down there. They think they're the centre of the universe and they're the most intelligent species. <laughs> anyway, dark urge. Well, the thing is, we always do. And, God, I hate this bloody COVID rubbish. At the moment, I could really do without it. It's not considerate, whoever has given it to me. I'm sure it was that fat bloke on the coach. <laughs> I'm going to get told off now, aren't I, for saying a fat bloke. Oh, but definitely. It was. It was enormous. Absolutely, 100%. But why on earth? And I moved because I couldn't sit next to him because there was no space. And I moved at the last minute and I just got another seat around the back and some other poor bloke got landed with him. You know, he's one of those people that's just big. He wasn't actually that fat, I don't think. He just seemed like he needed three seats. Mm. So I'm probably being, I don't know. I think we'll put that down to the COVID. Oh, we can certainly put it down to the COVID. I'm going to put everything down to COVID in the next three full days because I've got an ideal illness to feel sorry for myself with, but for a very short period of time because I've got bloody work to do. Right. Anyway, Ronnie, we've done it again, you know. You're joking. Well, Uh, what time did we start? I don't know. I'm just looking at the clock and it says 53 minutes. Yeah, you're right. I was going to say, what time did we start? Because I think we've been recording for just over 50 minutes, haven't we? Yeah, we have 53 minutes and 38 seconds. Blimey. Mm. Well, see, this is the great thing about being able to digress and being able to just spin off on any old topic. Yeah. Because I do like the idea of loosely going on all sorts of topics and whatever they are, just bring them back to recovery every time. Yeah, definitely. And it's I like, think it's, in, it's important because it's important for me that I have this recovery lens. Yes. You see what I mean? You need to always have the recovery lens on. Like my telescope has a lens on there and it needs to always have the Yeah, lens. I mean, that's what I mean. It's that I view the world in a certain way because I'm in recovery. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Definitely. And it's nice as well. Oh, nice yeah. A different spin. Because then people are looking at through them same lenses. Must be boring, mustn't it? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Without further ado, this COVID episode draws to a close. If you've been in any way affected by anything you've heard, whether it's real yourself, someone close to you, someone you know and love, your neighbour, your neighbour's cat, someone you work with, someone you don't work with, someone you walk past every day on the bridge on your way to work, the guy that works in the news agent, it doesn't matter who it is, if you're in any way affected, because everybody at some point in their life will be affected by an alcoholic or a drug addict. Every single person, I believe, apart from those who are in denial. And if you are in any way affected, pick up the phone, look on Google, there are plenty of things out there, there are plenty of options out there for help, and they don't all cost money. No. And I do dearly hope that my COVID has gone and we are back in the office next week. Yeah. So thank you, Ronnie, and we will be back next week. Ciao. Ciao. See you soon.